When we lived in New Mexico, we lived on a golf course, and my girls set up a lemonade stand that faced the golf course. Now, fortunately, we were down toward the end where, you know, the green is, and so by then, people aren't as reckless with their shots because, you know, you don't want your kids getting killed with golf balls, but they, they kind of set up shop right on the edge of the fairway or toward the green, and they would uh, solicit business by yelling, lemonade. Now, um, evidently, golfers are very sensitive when they're putting. I don't know. Uh, you know, if you're a golfer, what, what kind of losers are you? But anyway, um, so certain golfers would come over to buy lemonade from my kids while their competition was putting. And they paid them as much to yell as they did for the lemonade. It was kind of funny that that's kind of how it worked out because they were trying to, you know, get their partners off off kilter a little bit. Now, did you know that there are people who have made lemonade stands into businesses? Did you realize this? Like, I saw on Shark Tank a few months ago, there was a little girl and she had set up a lemonade stand and then she had, it had gone over great and so she had set up more lemonade stands and then she started bottling her lemonade and it was, it became a big deal and, and you have to consider that someplace in the process this little kid decided that this was going to be bigger than just a little little girl lemonade stand. This was going to be big. And, and she had to, you know, now she had to have a spreadsheet to see her profits and losses. And, and she set up two lemonade stands and she was invited to go other places. And she kind of told this story a little bit of how she began and it began small. But somewhere along the process, somewhere along the, the, the path here, she had to decide, is this going to be just a hobby? Because, you know, she started out, she talked about, hey, I just started out to make a little pocket change, just have a little spending money. The kid was like 11 or 12 years old. I, I started out, she said, just to have a little extra. But somewhere along the line, she began to see the potential. And she had this moment where she had to decide, is this going to be a business. Now some of you are saying to yourselves, I should start a lemonade stand. I mean, maybe, maybe that's my thing. And some of you are saying, I wish my kid knew what a spreadsheet was. You know, stuff, stuff like that. But, but there was a moment. Now, I, I think there are moments in life where you decide, is this going to be something big or is this not going to be something big? Uh, in relationships, this happens. Uh, is this going to go anywhere or not? You know, I've got daughters and they're having, you know, conversations with young men and they, they date and that kind of thing and Miriam and I when we first met we met in August and um, uh, I had these sweet plaid shorts on and I, I, I mean I'm pretty much I pretty much blew her away and uh, uh, she she was uh, infatuated from the first uh, first time she saw me this is she can't talk right now that that's how it worked and then we were in a class together, and we, I had a roommate, and she had a roommate, and, and they knew one another, and so we went to dinner, and so we meet in August, we start dating in September, we got engaged in November. If my girls do that, I will kill somebody. <laughs> this is our engagement picture, look at that. I mean, look at my hair, dude. I mean, I mean who wouldn't want a piece of that? I, you know, I mean... Th- 
I had the pocket square going. Miriam, look how happy she is. She is so happy. And for good reason. I, you know, anyway. Now, if we start dating in September, but we get engaged in November, we put a rush order on the relationship. I mean, it was kind of like, let's talk about where we're going. I don't know that we did it the first date, but it couldn't have been too far in because we only dated for two months before we got engaged. So at some point, we had a conversation around, where is this going? Now, it didn't hurt that we were, I mean, I, was, I think I was 27, Miriam was 24, something like that. So we, we had, you know, it wasn't like we were 16 years old. We, we had been around, we kind of knew what we were looking for. And we had this thing called the DTR, the Define the Relationship Conversation. And along the line, we decided that we were after the same thing. You know, we, we were following Christ, and I had really thought I was going to be a missionary, and we, she wanted to be a missionary. And it was kind of one of those things where it, it made sense to us, and we defined the relationship. Now, we're in this series called Not a Fan. And in this series, by the way, if you're not in a small group, please let me beg you to get in a small group. If for no, you don't have to do it forever. For the next six weeks, there are small groups that are going to meet. That they're going to show this this kind of movie that goes with this series, and, and it is just excellent. And you'll get something out of it. I would, I would be surprised if you're not motivated by it. And part of what you have to do in a relationship is define the relationship. And that also works with our relationship with Christ. In fact, Jesus sort of doesn't leave a lot to question. He, he said, and this was to his followers, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, that's not the easiest... That's, I mean, that is, hey, come, come follow me and there's going to be sacrifice involved. Come follow me and it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself. Those are, those are, that's language of cost. And at some point, we all need to make, we all need to kind of have a conversation, at least with ourselves, about where is our relationship with Christ? Because it's a relationship just like any others. For some of you, you're not there yet. You're like, ah, it's the first date, or I don't know a lot about Jesus yet. That's okay. Listen to these, this series. But for some of you, you've kind of, you've been dancing around the edges of this for a while. You kind of know, you kind of like Jesus, but you're not sure you're ready to deepen the relationship. And this is sort of the series for you. This is, this is, let's get honest with ourselves and how we really feel about Christ. This series will help you. Um, when, when, a, a while back, I used to watch shows like American Idol, and, and then there's what, um, America's Got Talent, and, and you have Simon on there. You remember, si Simon's still on, I think, America's Got Talent. And, and there, would be, there would be people who, who would audition. You've seen these. I mean, I... I almost used some video of this, but it just seems like you're making fun of them. You know, and I, I did watch 100 hours, but that's okay. Um, and, and, and they would get up. They're so full of confidence. You, you know. You, uh, uh, I, I heard one guy go, I'm not a singer, I'm a singer. It's like, oh, wow, it's going to be good. And, and then he, when, when they start to sing, now they come, they come in, they are full of confidence. 
and they start to sing. And it sounds like two cats in a burlap bag. I mean, they, it, you've never heard anything like it in your life. And it ain't good. It's bad. It's really bad. And Simon will say something like, That's the most horrendous thing I've ever heard. It's the best British accent I got. Uh, uh, what was that? I, I love it when he said, what, what exactly was that? It was awful. It was awful. And you see their faces. They are shocked. Like, but my mama told me I could sing. And your mama lied to you. Or they'll say, uh, when I go sing at karaoke, everybody applauds. They're glad you're done. I mean, it's like, it's one of those moments, right? They're just happy you're walking off. And, and there's this shock and I watched it over and over while I was preparing for this sermon. It's like, they, they, are, they are truly shocked. They cannot believe. What's nice is, it's nice when somebody tells you the truth. Now, he's not always that nice about how he tells the truth. I, I, I understand that. But there, there's a difference between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Those those aren't the same things. A fan, by definition, is an enthusiastic admirer. We understand this. We're fans of things. You can be a fan of a show. You can be a fan of a, a team, like the Kentucky Wildcats who beat South Carolina last night. You could, be, you could be a fan of a team, like the Kentucky Wildcats, who hardly ever win, and you should give me some love. And that's okay. That's okay. We never win, but we won last night. It's so good. And Louisville lost. What a day for me. I mean, really. Uh, God loves me. Anyway, anyway, anyway. We, we are fans of things. We understand what fans are. And, um, and we understand what fair weather fans are, right? There, there are fans, and what I like about my South Carolina friends is you're still a fan. You, your one loss to a team that's horrible uh, isn't dissuading you from your fanness. Dwayne likes Duke, good grief, and, uh, um, and even though he knows they're the Blue Devils, which is part of Satan's lair, uh, um, he's still a fan, and this series is for Dwayne, uh, to help him, understand, that might not be right, uh, but, but there's a difference, now, now what's really kind of interesting is, we can become fans of church. So we'll come to church and we'll, we begin to think that church is designed for us. Like, it's for our enjoyment. And so we'll listen to the music and, and we'll, we'll, we'll critique. And we'll go, to, we'll go to Sunday lunch and we'll say, boy, that sermon, you know, like on, on Gladiator, you know, up or down. And we'll do that and, and, and we'll talk about the music. Well, you know, it was a little pitchy because that's what, uh, that's what uh, they used to say on American Idol. It's a little pitchy. Or it was great today. I like all those songs. Those are the songs I really like. And, and we sort of evaluate based on how we feel the things went. We know all the songs and we knew all the words and... It was good for us. But, he, but here's what's interesting to me. Jesus never really cared about having fans. And by the way, Jesus had fans. In fact, he had lots of fans. There were people, the Bible tells us, that, that folks flocked to him 
There, there, there's a time where he, he, was, he, he, he went to pray and they were looking for him and he had crossed and, and they got in boats to, to go find him. I mean, there were people who wanted to be around Jesus. They were fans. Mostly, mostly, they were fans because he did something for them. Jesus feeds 5,000. He, he does it with, you know, five loaves and two fish. It's, it's, it's miraculous. I mean, you don't really feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and yet Jesus was able to do this, and everybody took notes. And Jesus was a meal ticket. It was free, and, and people, you talk about getting a crowd. Now, that particular story, it's in John 6, by the way, it talks about Jesus' motive for feeding the 5,000. It was, hey, these people have a need, and we can meet this need, and they, it's too far to send them home, so why don't we feed them? It wasn't, hey, I'm going to feed them every time they need food. It was this particular moment, this instant, I need to feed them. And so he did, and he got fans over this. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, if we're going to follow Christ, is, why? I mean, why exactly are we following Jesus? It's a great question. And in John 6, this is kind of where we're going to be today. So if you want to turn there, this is where we're going to be. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him. And here's why. It, it doesn't leave it for you to guess about it because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick super important to understand this Jesus goes one time to this place called the pool of Bethesda there are lots of sick people there in fact they went there because there was sort of a legend that if the waters at the pool of Bethesda stirred and you got into the waters while they stirred, while they kind of churned up, that you would be healed. So people, when, when you don't have a lot of hope for healing, you'll try anything. And they didn't have a lot of hope for healing. It wasn't like they had medical procedures and, and, and uh, they didn't have medications and all those kind of things were lots of different ailments. And, and they had things like leprosy and there was no cure and folks would... There, there, were, there was this, this gathering of people around the pool of Bethesda hoping that it would stir and they could get in first. And, and Jesus walks through this crowd of people and he talks to one guy. There's lots of people. He talks to one guy and he says to him, what's up? And the guy says, well, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get into the water so I can be healed. He, but nobody will help me. And Jesus heals this guy. And that, it's just interesting to me. And it's, I think it's something you have to really think about. There were lots of people that could have been healed there. Je Jesus basically had to walk through people that needed healing to get to a person to heal him. And he heals him. And people begin to notice. Now, he, here's a caution. Jesus didn't heal and Jesus didn't feed people for show. It was never for show. It wasn't like, hey, if I do this, I'm going to get a big crowd and people are going to show up and I'm going to make a big spectacle of it. At the Pool of Bethesda, it was not only I didn't make a big spectacle of it, he, he didn't even 
There were people around. He, he could have healed everybody. He healed one person. Not a spectacle. Not a production. He, he, he did it sort of individually. But people, they, they heard. They'd heard about the feeding of the 5,000. And they heard about this healing. And so there was this, it says, um, a great, <laughs> an enormous crowd wants to be with Jesus. So, let's skip down a little bit. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Now, let's, let, let's time out just for a second. Jesus used the Lord's Supper, the Passover Supper, to illustrate his life. And what he was saying is, you know, you, you all, all you want is this, you want more physical bread, like I made, like I made multiply. I, I, I am the bread of life. And then in verse 38, he says this, just a couple verses down. He says, um, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven. <laughs> now, these are theologically literate people. They, they know the Bible. They know people don't come down from heaven. Normal folks don't come down from heaven. You would have to be an angel or God to come down from heaven. And this was incredibly offensive to the crowd. So look what happens. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they're all like, no, you're not. Look, look. They said, is this not Jesus? He's the son of Joseph. We know this dude. We, we know his father. We know his mama. How can he say, I came down from heaven? Let me give you a translation. This brother is cray. That's what, that's what they're saying. That's the translation. It's not in the Greek. That's what they mean. This brother, he, he is messed up in the head. Because he didn't come down from heaven. We know his mama and daddy. We can take it to him right now. We know who his people are. We know where he came from. He is out of his cotton-picking mind. It's what, what he says. That's what they're saying. No, you're not. You're not the bread of life that came from heaven. Shut up. That's what they're saying. Now, look, 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 look. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You know, you know what he was saying? Let's define the relationship here. You're gathered around me because of what I might give to you. I, I have this ability to heal people. I have this ability to make food multiply. I can feed you. I can heal you. You're following me because of what you're getting. I, I want you to have a relationship with me whether you get anything or not. It, it, it's, Jesus will want us to define the relationship. He wants all of us to do this. We, we need to just have an honest self-assessment. Like on American Idol, when you're told... You're not as good as you think you are. 
at that point, you have to have an honest self-assessment. Well, maybe today the, the caution that you're hearing is, I wonder why I'm really following Jesus. Is it because of what he gives me? Or is it just because of what he did for me? I mean, Jesus died to take away our sins so that we might have eternal life. We're still going to have difficulties in this life. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. I'm not promising to take away your problems. Paul, who is arguably the greatest Christian who ever walked the planet, he talks about having a thorn in the flesh and how it wasn't healed. Sometimes you don't get healed. Sometimes you learn from your struggles. In fact, most of the time you learn from your struggles. And, and Jesus wasn't just looking for fans. And there, several times in Scripture, he would say things like, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. This wasn't like a one-time deal. He said this over and over again because there were times when the crowds got big and he needed to weed out the crowds. And he would say stuff like, I'm the bread who came down from heaven, and, and the crowd would, would shrink. It, it's, it's this defining the relationship moment. The second question we have to ask, number one is, why are you falling? Secondly, is are you all in? I, I mean, are you really all in? Uh, look at the next verse. Jesus says to the twelve. What about y'all? I mean, most everybody else has left. We had a great crowd, now I'm down to 12. What about you all? What do you all think? And Simon Peter is brilliant here. Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? Where, where are we... Where do you think we're going to go? It's you who've told us the way to live forever. You've given us the keys to eternal life. We believe now and we know it's true. You are the Christ. We're following you because of you. Not because of we. Not because of what we get. We follow you because you are the Messiah. You're the Son of Christ. And we know it. And we believe it. And they lived it. You understand those 12 disciples, Judas killed himself, but apart from Judas, who betrayed Jesus, they all, according to church history, suffered. They were all persecuted. They all uh, died for their faith. I mean, if you read, there's a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it begins with the disciples, and, and it's kind of a church history, sort of a, uh, a compilation of the stories of the early disciples and then others and it talks about how brutal their their deaths were it wasn't as if they walked around on clouds it was tough to follow jesus there there's a roman emperor his name was domitian domitian was was brutal to christians he, he was horrible to christians they would do things like in order to light their gardens, they would round up Christians, put vests that had been soaked in pitch, and they would set them on fire. They would impale them on a post, stick them in the air, and put them on fire to light their gardens. It, it was 
demanding. It was life-threatening to follow Jesus. And so Jesus says to his boys, hey, you guys going to leave? And Peter's like, we, where else are we going to go? Here's what happens with modern Christianity so often. It's, it's sort of like when, we, when you go to the Chinese buffet. I love the Chinese buffet. I love it. Because, you want to know why? You get all you can eat. That's it. Uh, really, that's the only reason. You get all you can eat. But you don't have to take stuff you don't like. So you're walking, and you know how it goes. They have the little sneeze shield there that you're praying works. And uh, you get your plate, and you, and you take the stuff you want, and you don't take the stuff you don't want. Ooh, I'll take a spring roll, wonton soup, bleh, no. Uh, I, I like Kung Po chicken, boom. Uh, beef and broccoli, don't think so, because it's got broccoli. Uh, you know, so you're walking through, you're taking the stuff you like, you're leaving the stuff you don't like. That's how it works at the Chinese buffet. It's a beautiful thing. I, I, I believe it's from God, I really do. In Christianity, what we do is, we, we hear messages about grace. Well, I like grace. I like grace to be applied to me. I'm not so much, I'm not so much in favor of giving it to others. Forgiveness, cool. I like forgiveness for me. I'm not so much ready to forgive other people. I kind of like nursing a grudge. So I'm not going to take the whole forgiveness thing. Or money. Well, don't talk to me about my money. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of... I like Jesus, he's cool, but really I make my money and I'm going to do with my money what I want to. So don't tell me what to do with my money. Or it could be, yeah I know there are verses in scripture that tell me about my sexual desires, but I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm not going to take that part of scripture. I'm going to take the parts I like. I, I like Jesus loves me. I like grace because it's free. I'm not so much, I don't so much like I've got to hold my tongue because I like to talk and I like to say, I like to speak my mind and I'm going to say stuff even if it hurts people. And I know the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to be honest, but in business sometimes you have to fudge a little bit. So I'm gonna, I'm kinda, I kind of know that is there, it's available to me, but I'm not really going to take that part. And so we, we treat our walk with Christ as if we can pick and choose. Now, I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about relationship. See, here's the deal. A follower of Jesus will do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. It, if you got married, what would it sound like to you if your wife said, I am totally committed to you except on Saturday nights? Because on Saturday nights, I like to go out with the girls, and sometimes there are some bohunks there, and I like to flirt. Uh, Anybody think that sounds good? How would it feel to you if you, you get married and your husband says to you, well, I'm, I am totally committed except for my hobby. Because I like, and you fill in the blank, I like to be on a sports fantasy team, or I like to fish, or I like to water ski, or you know, whatever it is. I'm totally committed to you, babe, except for the hobby. Does that make anybody in here happy? Either one of those? I mean, we don't, we don't readily put up with that sort of behavior. That, that's not 
what we think a committed relationship looks like. See, fans don't like the idea of total commitment. They, they like to pick and choose. And we are Americans and we are shoppers. We shop Jesus. If I want something right this second, I can pull out my phone. I can get on Amazon right now. You're probably doing it, some of you are doing it right this second. Uh, he said, um, Chinese restaurant, I'm trying to find. You know, you, that's, that's some of you right now. You're just trying to figure out where to go to lunch. And I can, find, I can buy anything pretty much on my phone this instance. And we treat Jesus the same way. I like some parts of it. I'm going to shop though. Because I really don't like that part. I really don't like this whole idea of being honest. And I don't really have to uh, like this idea of, of anybody telling me what I can do with my body and that sort of thing. Are you all in? I mean, are you totally committed? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? That's the question. And then the third question is, have you made it your own? Because here's what I know about relationships with Christ. Many times they begin with fandom because somebody brought you into church. You, you came with your mama because your mama said you're going to go. Or your daddy said we're going to go to church. And you go to church because your parents say you're supposed to. Or you started going to church because your wife wanted you to. Or your girlfriend wanted you to. Or your boyfriend wanted you to. And you kind of like it. it. It's like... If you're driving in a car with somebody, let's say you, you carpool and you're driving in a car and they play music that you, you don't really, you don't love it, you don't hate it. It's like country music. Let's just take country music. You don't love it, you don't hate it, but they play it every day. And you find after a while you kinda, you're kind of tapping to the songs. It's a quarter after twelve, I'm a little, you know, and uh, you kind of, you it's like, well... Kind of like this. It applies to everything but rap. Rap will never work this way. Uh, but, uh, but all of a sudden, you're, you kind of like it. Sort of, it's sort of okay with you. You're comfortable. And you come to church, and we sing songs, and you kind of like those songs. And you kind of like the stories. And they kind of make you feel good. And there's motivation there. You're motivated to be better. And you kind of like to be motivated to be better. And you listen to the, the message, and you listen to the songs, and you... At first, you didn't know how you felt about it. You kind of like it. Not the worst thing you've ever experienced. It's okay. It's all good. And Jesus wants you to make it your own. Jesus isn't looking for a relationship with you through somebody else. Through your parents or through your spouse. He's looking for a relationship with you. And one time, again, another hard thing Jesus said once. Again, look, look what it says. A large crowd was following, and he turned around and he said, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else in your family. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And here he says it again. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. This isn't about your mom and dad. This text is, has nothing to do with that what he's saying is your commitment to me has to be your commit your commitment to me not your mom's commitment to me not your dad's commitment to me it's got to be your commitment to me the question is for the day 
if you analyze your own life, are you, are you just following Jesus for what he gives you? Or are you following Jesus because he's the way to eternal life and, and he died for your sins and you want a relationship with him, not for just the fringe benefits. You want a relationship with him. There's something called the, um, the Mars One Project. It's non-profit. This is a picture of Mars, evidently. Um, if by chance it's not, don't tell me. Because I think it looks like Mars. So I'm going to go with Mars. Okay. Now, they have this ambitious uh, goal of setting up a colony of people on Mars by 2027. That's 10 years from now. They want to have a colony of people. They're going to start with four people, and they're going to put them on Mars, and they're going to start to colonize Mars. Now, <laughs> these people have to be highly resourceful. They're going to be the folks who cook, and they grow food, and, and they're going to be you know, the farmers, and the chefs, and the doctors, and the engineers. They're going to be everything. Here's the trick about being the people who colonize Mars. When you go to Mars, you don't get to come back. Getting to Mars, evidently, from what this research says, takes seven months and a small fortune. You can go. You just can't come back. That's their slogan. Whoever branded that is stupid. I mean, I mean you can go, you just got to stay. It's like Hotel California. <laughs> you can check out anytime you like. You just can't leave. I mean, now you would think with that sales pitch, nobody would apply. Two hundred thousand people have applied. I didn't even know about it. I would apply. I would send in some applications for some people I, I know. Uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, every Duke fan. Uh, yes, there you go. Here's what's on their website. This is the language. Once on Mars, there are no means to return to Earth. Mars is home. <laughs> a grounded, deep sense of purpose will help each astronaut maintain his or her psychological stability and focus as they work together toward a shared and better future. What if... We had that sort of commitment to Christ in, in our own hearts. That once we're committed to Christ, there's no means to return. A grounded, deep sense of purpose will help each person maintain his psychological, his or her psychological stability and focus as they work together toward a shared and better future. Because Christ is asking us to be followers. I mean, he is awesome. And I understand why people are fans. He's, he's also worth sacrificing for. Not just what you can get out of it, but what you can put into it. He's worth it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to consider 
to self-assess where we are spiritually in our walk with Christ. Are we on the fringes sort of looking in? Are we the happy people who are happy to just be around Jesus? Or are we committed? Help us, Father, know the difference. To spend the time to know the difference. This is more important than any ball game we're going to watch. This is more important than any business venture we're going to get into this week. This is more important than anything we'll ever do for the rest of our lives. So, Father, I pray that this week we might take time to assess our relationship with Jesus. Are we really, really, really all in? We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you do for us. And we pray that you might guide us. You might give us wisdom and you might give us clarity as we think about these things. We pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.